Church, we are in the book of Joshua. Today I'm going to steal from a popular movie. Did you guys see the Dead Poet Society? Dead Poet Society, Robin Williams. Okay, somebody asked me this morning <clears throat> what that line in the movie meant when he said carpe diem, carpe diem. Have you heard that phrase? Yeah. We know it means seize the day, right? That's from a Greek playwright, and it's not the full quote. Carpe diem are only the first two words uh, uh, of the quote. It's actually in Latin now. That's where we get this from. But the Latin phrase literally means seize the moment and take no thought for tomorrow. How many of you guys are worried about tomorrow? Now, if you're Ed over here, Ed's got exams tomorrow. So Ed's doing the Hail Mary, praise Jesus, help me get through it thing right now because I got to finish this exam. Nicole's school, they're already done. You know, they've already finished those exams, they're done, so it's all good. How many of you guys are worried about tomorrow? Are you worried about your job? Worried about your kids? Worried about your family? Worried about your marriage? What things are you worried about? See, Sister Sharon said it, we don't need to be obsessed with worrying about what's going wrong in the world. We need to be obsessed with praising God for all the things that he is doing in our lives that are going right. Hold up your hands, church. Oh, we're not going to get a sermon this morning. There we go. Okay, I want you to look. On your right hand, I want you to start counting how many things have gone wrong in your life this week. Okay, how many things have gone wrong? Start counting them. You can name them off. <laughs> Just start going through 5, 10, 15. Now, put that hand down. Lift up your left hand. How many things did God do to bless you this week? There shouldn't be enough time in the day to count all of the blessings of life. You see, whenever you're tempted to throw up your hands, put your right hand down and focus on your left. Focus on the blessings of the week. That's what I want to talk about today. Joshua chapter 6. Carpe diem. Seize the day and take no thought for tomorrow. Because you know what? Tomorrow may never come. God may take your life tonight. Heart attack, aneurysm, nuclear explosion, I don't know, cockroach invasion. <laughs> Whatever takes you away tonight, you have only this moment, this hour, this day to give God glory. What are you going to do with the day he's given you? Don't worry about tomorrow. Edge may not get there. The rapture might come Jesus will take us home. No exams. Can I get an amen from somebody? There we go. I know you guys are waiting too. All right, Joshua 6, 1 through 7. If we're going to seize the day, if we're going to be God's people, we need to carry out the plan of the Lord. Notice the last three words, of the Lord. God has a plan for your life. God's plan is not your plan. But God will make his plan known to you. Look at it. <clears throat> Joshua 6, 1 through 7. Now Jericho was strongly fortified because of the Israelites. No one leaving or entering. This was standard practice in a city under siege. They would close the gates. Nobody could go out. Nobody could come in because they were afraid of spies entering the city. The Lord said to Joshua, look, I have handed Jericho, its king, and its fighting men over to you. March around the city with all the men of war, circling the city one time. 
do this for six days. Have seven priests carry seven ram's horn trumpets in front of the ark. But on the seventh day, march around the city seven times while the priests blow the trumpet. Let's stop right there. Let's stop right there. Look at this preparation. God is giving them a plan for taking the city. Now, here's the thing. Joshua was an experienced military commander. Amen? Joshua led them to take the kingdoms of Og, Bashan, and Sihon, king of the Amorites, right? On the other side of the Jordan, they had toppled two massive kingdoms. They had already defeated cities. Why would God have to give them a different plan for this? Because God wants us to approach every situation in life with his wisdom, his perspective. You can say to yourself, well, I know how to live my life. I am 49 years old. If you're Ken, you're 35 years old. If you're Brother Doty, you're 25 years old. However long you have lived, you have lived your life, amen? You know what works, you know what doesn't work, right? At least we hope so by now anyways. But here, after having won two kingdoms, God's going to give them a different plan. Now, Joshua could have been arrogant. Joshua could have said, you know what, Lord, I got this. I know how to do this. I got this. Yeah, I know how to take cities. Lord, take a break. I will handle this. Is that what he said? No, he didn't say anything. God started speaking. Now, he says this. He says, look, I have handed Jericho, its king, and its fighting men over to you. Notice, guys, this is a unique tense a unique tense in the Hebrew. This is a perfect tense. This means this is a future action spoken about as if it has already happened. You know, you are saved, amen, if you know Jesus Christ. But at the same time you are saved, you are being saved. Sanctification, the process of being saved. The salvation is accomplished at the cross of Jesus Christ. At the moment of your confession of sin, your repentance, you are saved. Done deal. But you are in the process of being saved, weeding out the old man, getting rid of the old ways of doing things. And one day, praise Jesus, when I die or when the rapture comes, I will be fully saved, right? Glorification. That's what it's all about, that process. This is, I have handed the city. This means it's done. The city already belongs to you. The city is already fallen. It's done deal. He wants Joshua to understand, you're not going to have to think about your salvation. You're not going to have to think about taking that wall or this fortification. It's already done. Now just go do it the way I'm going to tell you to do it. Notice what he says ahead of them. Verse 4, have seven priests carrying seven ram's horn trumpets. These are unique trumpets. In the Hebrew, these are called jubilee trumpets. You know what a jubilee trumpet does? It does two things. One, it summons God to his people. And two, because God always is with his people, it celebrates the presence of God with his people. When you're in a traffic accident, what do you do? Thank you, Jesus, you were with me in the midst of the accident. When you go through grief, thank you, Lord, you were with me in the moment of my deepest despair. Whatever you're going through, whether it's finishing a doctoral work or starting college, thank you, God, you are already with me 
in doing this thing. How many of you actually get up in the morning, Lord, thank you, you're going out the door to work with me. Lord, thank you as I study your word, you are going to reveal it to me. Lord, you are present in my life. Prayer, praise is a jubilee trumpet. It celebrates God's presence. Now the people in Jericho thought this was hysterical. They're going to look down and go, look at these people walking around the city. They're not doing anything. You know, we know from the rest of the Bible how the pagan world did it. They built siege towers. We know that when Nebuchadnezzar laid siege to Jerusalem, do you know what he did? He stacked up earth and brick against the walls. He didn't have to break the walls down because the brother walked over the top of the walls. He built the ramps up so that he could go over the top. Mount Masada is in the middle of the Judean desert. Herod built a great fortress on top of this thing, and the Romans came after them. All these Jews were stirring up discontent. They hid on Mount Masada. Have you heard of it, church? Look it up. They hid at Herod's fortress on top of Mount Masada, hundreds and hundreds of feet in the air. Do you know what the Romans did? They built a great big ramp right up the side of the mountain, and they rolled the siege tower to the top and knocked down the doors. They didn't have to climb the sides. They just built a ramp. You know how the Egyptians built pyramids, those great big, huge, not pyramids, but obelisks, the great big stones? They would build ramps up to the sides and put them in place and then remove the earth. And then there it was. Amazing. They were talking about how ingenious these people were. But God did not have them do any of this. He did not have them use any standard military warfare practice. You know what that means, church? When you live your life for God, you can't live it by the world's standards. You can't grow a church by studying corporate models. You can't be successful in life by measuring yourself by the world's standards of how much money you own, how many houses you own, how many cars you have, which college you attended, which university ring you have on your finger. You can't measure yourself by that because God does not measure us by that. So they blew these jubilee trumpets to tell all the people, not to tell the pagans. The pagans didn't know what it meant. But God's people knew when the trumpets were blown, God was present with them in that battle. Don't ever forget that. God is present. Now go on to verse 5. When there is a prolonged blast of the trumpet, you hear it sound. Have all the people give a mighty shout. Then the city wall will collapse and the people will advance. Notice this. Each man straight ahead. Let me throw in line in there real quick. Our tendency in life is, gentlemen, when we meet a problem and we feel inadequate, I know it's a shock, ladies, sometimes your men feel inadequate. Not often, but sometimes. Okay. Our tendency is not to tackle it head on. What do we do, guys? We try to find another way around it. Right? We try to go around that thing. Women are much smarter. When their husband won't move, they just push us down and beat on us. It's just, you know, straight, straight ahead attack, right? It works every time. You know, ask me and Ray. We know the truth. No, just kidding. Anyways, he sends them, each man straight ahead, saying, you're not going to look for a weak spot. You're not going to look for the easiest way to do it. You're just going to go straight ahead of wherever you happen to be. So Joshua, son of Nun, summoned the priests and said to them, 
take up the Ark of the Covenant and have seven priests carry seven trumpets in front of the Ark of the Lord. He said to the people, move forward, march around the city, and have the armed troops go ahead of the Ark of the Lord. Carry out the plan of the Lord. Joshua could have thought of a thousand ways to do this battle, a different ways to do it. It says in verse 1, the people were already scared. They were so scared they had locked the city down. Nobody out, nobody in. Do you know what happens if nobody goes out and nobody goes in? You can wait and the city will starve to death. You can wait and the city will run out of water. You can wait and wait and wait your enemy to death. And you don't have to do anything. That's what a siege is. But God did not want them to do it their way because then who would take credit for the victory? The people. Joshua would take credit. If he gave them something that made no sense, then they could only give the glory to who? God. Lord says what? If your enemy smacks you on the left cheek, what do you do? Turn the other cheek, right? Man's logic says what? Hit him quick. Knock him down, hit him again. Okay, that's how guys do things. Oh, you gonna slap me? I'm gonna punch you. Punch me, I'll hit you with a brick. That's how we do things, but that's not God's way. If your enemy hates you, pray for him. Pray for her. Forgive those who despitefully use you. Give love to those who only return hatred. That makes no sense. But that is God's way of dealing with the world. So church, don't expect when you read scripture for it to make sense from a human perspective. It won't make sense. Because God's way is not our way. How do I know that? Isaiah 55, 8. Guys, can we throw up Isaiah 55? We're trying a new feature of our, of our software to see if it comes. There it is. It says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, and your ways are not my ways. This is the Lord's declaration. For as heaven is higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Those fir that first verse is the most important. God's way of thinking about your problem is not going to be like yours. God's way of solving your problem is not going to look like yours. So I know what you're asking me. You're saying, how do I know God's way of doing it? He left you a great big thick love letter to tell you how to deal with it. It tells you how to deal with marriage problems. It tells you how to deal with raising your children. It tells you how to deal with business. It tells you how to deal with sickness. It tells you how to deal with liars, how to deal with cheats, how to deal with people who are using you. God's word has so much wisdom, but you have to see that you're going to have to bend to God's way and not do it your way. Okay, let's move on. Joshua 6, 8 through 19. So God says, carry out the plan of the Lord. Carry out God's plan. It may not sound right, but do it anyways. Second point is this, carry out the plan with care. <clears throat> How many of you are careful people? Careful. I notice all women raise their hands, no men. Okay. Men just go at things with brute strength. We try to overcome the issue. Women sit there and they think it out and they're careful to calculate it. You know why in my family my wife does all the money stuff? Because she had the brain and I got the good looks. That's why. We all know that one. Just kidding. Just kidding. I may not go home tonight. Okay, anyways. God wants us to carry out this plan of the Lord with care. Now notice this. After Joshua had spoken to the people, seven priests carrying seven trumpets 
before the Lord moved forward and blew the trumpets. Well, that's good. That's what they were supposed to do. The Ark of the Lord's Covenant followed them. While the trumpets were blowing, the armed troops went in front of the priests who blew the trumpets, and the rear guard went behind the Ark. But Joshua had commanded the people, now notice this, do not shout or let your voice be heard. Don't let one word come out of your mouth until I say shout. Then you are to shout. So the Ark of the Covenant was carried around the city, circling it once. They returned to the camp and spent the night there. What sense does that make? Now in the Old Testament days in the Near East, one of the best weapons was intimidation. Have you ever had someone try to intimidate you, make you feel like you were not the smartest or the most capable? Have you ever had someone put you down because you were too tall or too short, too fat or too thin? Has someone ever tried to intimidate you? You see, that's the way the world works. The world works through intimidation. He didn't want them to go back to that plan of shouting and pretending that they were tough. Why? They were to walk in silence because who was going to win the victory? The Lord of the people. The Lord was going to win the victory. So who does the shouting? The Lord does the shouting. Remember, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. Who will repay? He will repay. Someone does you wrong, don't worry about it. God's going to deal with them much more ferociously than you could ever think of. Although Miss Kathleen could probably tear you up one side and down it. She's mean. She's, ooh, she's tough. But still, God's even tougher than you, Miss Kathleen. Tougher still. Here's the thing. He wanted them to be dependent upon the Lord. So you know what? In this world, when you go to college, and, and Judy, when you get off to college, people are going to say things about your Christian faith. People may insult you. They may call you backward. They may call you closed-minded. I got cut off in traffic today, and my temperature went up immediately. And then I saw it was one of those people with the coexist sticker on the back of their car. And I said, it figures. It figures. So I just had to pray them on into oblivion and let them go. No. Whatever happens, you have to remain calm. Because God's way is not the way of instant retaliation. It's not the way of boasting and bragging and pretending that we're so ferocious. God's way is to walk humbly. Watch for him to win the victory. You know, he says, be still and know that I am God. And that's when God wins victories in our life, when we are still. Not when we're fighting and screaming. There's a, a poem that I love. It says, rage, rage against the dying of the light. Do not go softly into that good night. Great poem. Lousy advice. Lousy, lousy advice. I would use another word, but I'm not allowed to use that word anymore. Anyways, lousy advice. Here's the thing. His whole thing is you should, you should not die. You should rant and scream and rage against death as if death can be defeated. Death cannot be defeated. You have to embrace death. It is part of living as a frail, mortal, fallen person. But when we die, we either die unto Christ, in which case we receive it joyfully, or if we are not a believer, then we have a reason to be afraid of death. And what we should do instead of raging against God is get straight with God before that time comes. Because you never know when that day is going to come. Now go on to verse 12. <clears throat> Joshua got up early the next morning. The priest took the ark of the Lord, and the seven priests carrying the seven trumpets marched in front of the ark of the Lord. While the trumpets were blowing, the armed troops went in front of them, and the rear guard went behind the ark of the Lord. 
This is an honor procession, by the way. If you look at how things were done in the ancient world, troops would precede the king, troops would follow the king, both to honor him and protect him. God doesn't need protection, but God deserves our honor. Amen? Ark was central to everything they were doing. On the second day, they marched around the city once and returned to the camp. They did this for six days. Notice they were consistent. They were consistently faithful to what God told them to do. Maybe the first day they did this and the people on the city walls began to heckle them. Second and third day, maybe they began to throw trash at them knowing that they weren't going to speak and they weren't going to attack. Maybe by the sixth day. Can you imagine what the people in the city would have said to them? Oh, here you are again, you weak cowards. Why don't you lift up a spear? Why don't you come at us? If you think you're so powerful, if your God is so good, come on, let's fight. You ever notice bullies in a schoolyard love to taunt you into a fight? Here's the problem. Be careful you bullying somebody you can beat. Because I've seen some little people, when they get mad, tear up some much bigger kids. I've seen them tear up much taller, much stronger people. You know why? Because when your cause is right, God is for you. And then God helped the person on the other end. But they tried to intimidate them, and they did nothing. So God's people consistently do what's right. Guys, if you're living a life and you're walking in purity, you're walking in honesty, let's say in your business, your place of business, people steal all the time. They take things all the time. They, uh, they, they write in that they come in at 8 a.m., but actually they come in at 8 a.m. and leave and come back at 10. Don't say it doesn't happen. I know it happens. Or people go, you know what? I'm supposed to stay till 5, but it's uh, 3.30 and I've got a date, so I'm going to leave at 3.30. I'm just going to write myself out at 5. Don't tell the boss. Can we do that as believers? Can we walk in unrighteousness? No. We have to consistently follow the things that God sets out for our life. Why? Because if you are honest, if you are consistently being what God meant for you to be, people will see it, they will know it, and they will take note of you. They may not praise you for it. They may not show you any respect, but they're going to know that there's something different about you. Eugene, they look at you and they go, what is with that man? He comes in on time. He works hard. He doesn't take those six-hour naps in the middle of the day like his pastor does. What is with that man? They are going to say, hey, middle of the day is mine. I sleep. Anyways, they will see it. They will know because you are consistently being what God meant for you to be. Early on the seventh day, they started at dawn and marched around the city seven times in the same way. That was the only day they marched around the, the city seven times. Now, you know what? To go around the city seven times, they probably had to pick up the speed a little bit. Do you think the people of Jericho noticed something was different? Do you think the people in the city noticed, wait a minute, there's one, there's two, there's three. What's going on? Four, five. By number seven, they were nervous. They were scared because they had not seen this before. Look at how many people in our world today are nervous about the condition of the world. More and more on television, more and more on every channel they're talking about 2012, the Mayan calendar, asteroids, tidal waves, global melting, all this other stuff. You hear about it this year more than before because people are scared. People notice that there's more earthquakes. There's more tornadoes. 
There's more natural disasters. There's more things happening now, and they don't understand why. People are looking for answers, and guess what, people? We have the answers. We need to be able to tell people what's going on. God is getting ready to come back, and he's trying to get your attention. People in the city, God got their attention. Now look at verse 16. After the seventh time, the priests blew the trumpets, and Joshua said to the people, Shout! For the Lord has given you the city. You want to know why you praise with all your might on Sunday morning? You don't just go, Jesus loves me, this I know. Gee, I wish I was shopping at Walmart because they have sales. No, you know, you know, I've heard people say the weirdest things in church. I really have. From the pulpit, I can see people out there doing the shopping lists. I know because they're not following the points, they're following the sales paper. You know, it happens. It says, shout for the Lord has given you the city. That's why we shout. That's why we're different, because we know God has given us this life. But the city and everything in it are set apart to the Lord for destruction. This is where you have to follow the plan with care. Only Rahab the prostitute and everyone with her in the house will live. Only them. Because she hid the men we sent. But keep yourselves from the things set apart or you will be set apart for destruction. Church, underline verse 18. Underline 18, it is so critical. Keep yourselves from. It means keep yourselves separate from those things which God has set apart for destruction. There's a lot of things in this life. There's a lot of people set apart for destruction. Certain behaviors, certain ways of life. I mean, a lot of college freshmen get into trouble because when they're away from mom and dad for the first time, suddenly their friends say, let's go to the bar. Let's go drinking. Let's go dancing. Let's go do all of these things that you know you really shouldn't be doing. But because your friends say, let's go do that, what do you do? You become part of the thing God has said stay away from. God does not do that to kill your social life. He does that to protect you. He is telling them, if you do not keep yourselves away from these things, you will be destroyed. In the next chapter, we're going to see exactly how real God's threat is. If you take any of those things, you will be set apart. You will set apart the camp of Israel for destruction and bring disaster on it. For all the silver and gold and the articles of bronze and iron are dedicated to the Lord and must go into the Lord's treasury. Notice that. Certain things belong to the Lord. Now, I've been reading about a certain prophet and of the wife he lived and the wife he married. And I'll tell you something. There are things set apart that are holy and sacred, and you just don't give them away. People, guard your heart. It belongs in the Lord's treasury. Guard your affections. Guard the things that you want for yourself and be sure that those are things that God has given to you and not things that are part of the world. If you look at this, he's very specific. Only Rahab the prostitute and everyone with her in the house will live. That means they had to kill every other living thing in the city, right? Kill it all. Now to us in the 21st century, we don't understand this. But this is being dedicated unto destruction. When a place like Jericho was utterly obliterated, completely annihilated, then you knew that something was being stated, something was being made 
to, to tell the whole world about that. Now, they found Jericho. It's interesting. You know the walls of Jericho that go to this time period? The walls did not fall out. The walls didn't even fall in as if they had been attacked. Because when the city was attacked, the walls were battered in or the walls were pulled out with chains. The walls of Jericho fell straight down because we still see them today. You know the amazing thing about Jericho? When a, when a band of soldiers would attack a city, there's certain things they would take. They take the women, they take the gold, and they take the food. Well, guess what they found at Jericho? They found container after container after container of like wheat and barley and all these other types of grains. These grains were like gold to people on the move. This was food. This was life for people in the desert. And they cannot figure out what army would attack a city and the walls would come straight down, not out, not in, and they would leave all the food. It doesn't make any sense. From a human perspective, what they found at Jericho doesn't make any sense at all. But you know what? It makes sense to us. Because God said, this is the first city that you're going to take. In the land I give you, it belongs to me. Remember the firstborn of Israel? Firstborn male belongs to who? To the Lord. That's why they have to purchase back that child. Because the firstborn belongs to God's service. You see, the first tenth of your income, that's a tithe, by the way. That belongs to the Lord. That, that first offering that says, Lord, you have blessed me with all of this. Now let me give it back to you because you deserve it. You are worthy of it. And by giving it to him, you honor him. What God told them is when you take the city, kill everything. You're going to see much later. Every time they disobeyed this, it cost them dearly in the years to come. Every Canaanite they left alive caused problems for them later on. But in Jericho, they did it. In Jericho, they took everything. They killed all the men, all the women, all the children. Only those in the household of Rahab did they save because God had made a promise. We're going to see that in just a minute. We're going to see that in just a minute. But why does he tell them, keep yourselves? He says, only Rahab, all the silver, gold, bronze, iron must be dedicated. It must go into the Lord's treasury. Consider this, Deuteronomy 5.32. Deuteronomy 5.32. See if we get it. There it is. Be careful to do as the Lord your God has commanded you. It means show great care that you keep completely everything that God commands you. You are not to turn aside to the right or to the left. He goes on in 33. Follow the whole instruction of the Lord your God has commanded you so that you may live, prosper, and have a long life in the land you will possess. That's the way we live our life as believers. You see, if we don't follow the whole command of God, if we don't keep our heart focused on Him, if we don't keep ourselves pure, if we don't do all those things that the world is always telling us, don't worry about that. God, God understands. No, God doesn't understand. God commanded it for a reason. That reason is to protect you and to keep you safe. Why is there so much disease in our country? Because we don't keep marriage sacred. 
We don't protect the wedding bed. That's why we have disease in our country. I'm sorry if you don't like the truth. The whole attitude that we as Americans, and by the way, guys, I've lived in enough countries, it ain't just us, it's everywhere. We as human beings have not protected marriage. That is why we have so much disease in the world. Because we have not listened to a God who said, keep yourselves for your husband or your wife and protect the wedding bed. We don't listen to it. Oh, that's old fashioned. That was, you know, back in the days of Moses and my mom. You know, that's how we think. In fact, all you moms, if your children say that, you should just put them on house arrest. Make them read the book of Deuteronomy. God does that to protect us. He knew that anybody violating these laws at Jericho would bring death on the camp of Israel. And it does in the next chapter. But also it brings disaster into your own life. When you disobey the things that the Lord says for you to do, such as you shall have no other gods before me, no graven images, keep the Sabbath holy. Don't fill your heart with hatred and envy and jealousy and lust. When we don't do that, the person who suffers is us. Come on. 99% of the grief in your life, you brought it into your life by the way you chose to live. There's that 1% that, yeah, somebody out there who's a total pagan, someone who's an anti-God, you know, lunatic, they bring grief into our lives. We do have the spontaneous person with the gun and no brains that does bring grief into our life. But nine times out of ten, we do it to ourselves. By being places we shouldn't be, being with people we shouldn't be, don't date a pagan. Guys, if you are married, do not linger over pictures of women that are not your wife. Ladies, I know that you guys have got a better lock on this because, of course, women never get attracted to men other than their husbands. Never. Did the sarcasm drip enough? Okay. Don't let anything come before your eyes to cause you to lust. You want me to name the things that make you lust? Gucci. Coach. Louis Vuitton. Instruments of lust and desire. No, I ain't looking. I'm not looking. I see it. I ain't looking. No. Anyway, keep yourself safe unto the one God's given you. So be careful to do all those things. But let's finish it up. Joshua 6, 20 through 27. So we've said it. You must carry out the plan of the Lord. It's the Lord's plan. Carry out the plan with care. Now carry. Oh, next one. 20 through 27. Oh, carry out the plan completely. Remember, it's not enough to start well. You have to finish well. Okay? Look at this. So the people shouted. And the trumpets sounded. When they heard the blast of the trumpet, the people gave a great shout and the wall collapsed. Historically, we know that's true. The people advanced into the city. Notice what it says. Each man straight ahead. Because the wall came completely down. There was no other avenue that was easy. It's just whatever God puts in front of you, take it on. Whether he puts a person who wants to hear about Christ, he puts a person who's anti-God, anti-church, Take on whatever God puts in front of you. And they captured the city. It says they completely destroyed everything in the city with the sword, every man and woman, both young and old, every ox, sheep, and donkey. That was hard. 
Livestock was life. Livestock was more important than gold and silver. Livestock kept you going, and yet they sacrificed it unto the Lord. Joshua said to the two men who had scouted the land, now these are the two men who had been protected by Rahab, go to the prostitute's house and bring the woman out of there and all who are with her just as you promised her. Notice this, God knows that he always keeps his promises. Guys, we need to be people of integrity. If we make a promise, we need to back it up. We need to be people who do what we say. If we say we believe the Sabbath is important, we need to be in church on Sunday. If we say we believe prayer is important, we need to pray. If we say we believe the Word of God is the Word of God, we need to read it like the Word of God and not like some boring novel that you put down after one page. Okay, I have picked up the occasional Harlequin romance novel and gone, oh dear Lord, what is this? You know, I get through like one paragraph and I'm, I quit. So if we believe those things, we need to do those things. Honestly, look at verse 23. So the young men who had scouted went in and brought out Rahab and her father, mother, brothers, and all who belonged to her. What did she do? Did she really just stay home and go, oh, this is not going to happen. The walls are not going to fall. Yeah, I put that scarlet cord out there, but I really don't need it because nothing's going to happen to my family. Uh-uh. She gathered everyone that she loved. And she dragged them into her house. And she said, if you don't come in here, you will die. And she kept them in her house. I'm going to bet the first six days the family wasn't so anxious. I'm thinking on day seven, the family's going, one, two, three, four, uh, what time did Rahab say to come to the house? Boom, they were there when the walls fell. <clears throat> so they, they went in and brought out Rahab and her father, mother, brothers, and all who belonged to her. They brought out her whole family and settled them outside the camp of Israel. Very important, guys. They did not bring them into the camp of Israel. Why? They were still unclean. They were still not fully converted to faith in Yahweh God. They had shown faith by doing what they did, but the men needed to be circumcised and the women needed to be ceremonially clean. So God just doesn't take any sort of Hail Mary move. If we're going to come to God, we have to come to God completely and we have to be fully converted and cleansed. So he kept them out of the camp until they were clean and prepared and ready to present to God's people. Now in church, we don't keep anybody out, Amen. But when someone comes through the door, it's not enough that they're here. We have to be sure that they know the Lord, that they have been discipled in the Lord's ways, in the Lord's teachings, and that they have been fully prepared for life in Christ. Being here is not enough. Being fully prepared is what our goal is in this church. Discipleship. They burned up the city and everything in it, and they put the silver and gold and the articles of bronze and iron into the treasury of the Lord's house. However, Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute, her father's household, and all who belonged to her, because she hid the man Joshua had sent into, into to spy on Jericho, and she lives in Israel to this day. You know why that's important? Because they brought her to the border of the camp, but they didn't stop working with her until she was fully integrated into Israeli culture. They didn't just leave her outside the camp. They didn't just save her life. They brought her fully into a relationship with Yahweh God so that she could be part of Israel. It just goes to forth to reinforce that idea. 
Getting them in church is not enough. Getting them to meet the pastor is not enough. You taking personal responsibility for discipling and sharing Christ with your friends, that is what God requires of every believer. And if your life doesn't reflect Christ, sweetheart, get it cleaned up so that it does. Because your friends will listen to you long before they listen to me. They will learn about following Jesus from watching you, not from what I say up here. I'm, I'm the enemy. I'm the pastor. I'm supposed to look this way. And I'm supposed to look this good. So, but you're not. So you will surprise them. Anyways, so he's been there. She lives there to this day. They kept their promise. They finished the job. Now verse 26 and we're done. At that time, Joshua imposed this curse. Pay attention, church. This is so important. Impose this curse. The man who undertakes the rebuilding of this city, Jericho, is cursed before Yahweh, before the Lord. He will lay its foundation at the cost of his firstborn. He will set up its gates at the cost of his youngest. And the Lord was with Joshua and his fame spread throughout the land. I want you to look at 1 Kings 16.34. See if we can get it up there real quick. Okay, during his reign, this is the reign of Ahab, by the way, which we just studied on Tuesday night. Hallel the Bethlehemite built Jericho. What? What did Joshua just say? And this is not that much time has passed, okay? He undertake to rebuild Jericho. At the cost of Abiram, his firstborn, he laid its foundation. At the cost of Segub, never name your kid Segub, by the way. It's just not, it's not what you should do. Segub, his youngest, he set up its gates. According to the word of the Lord, he had spoken through Joshua, son of Nun. Isn't it amazing? If you had never read 1 Kings, you would not know that the curse that Joshua imposed was kept. When God says, whosoever believes in him shall not perish, sweetheart, he is serious. Without Jesus, you will never see the kingdom of God. I don't care how good of a Presbyterian you are, how good of a Lutheran, how good of a Baptist, how good of a Catholic, without faith in Jesus, without repentance, without regeneration, without salvation, sanctification, you will never have glorification. You will never see the kingdom of heaven. This brother right here, Hallel the Bethlehemite, he thought God was playing. So he laid the foundation and he lost his firstborn child. He set up the gates. He lost his secondborn. You know, later they, re, they, re, they did rebuild Jericho, but not there. Down the road. That place is desolate to this day. This was the only man foolish enough. There goes that word again. Foolish enough to try to rebuild in spite of God's promise. He found out God keeps his word even generations later. Generations later. So, do you want to have victory in your life, church? Do you want a life that is victorious, that is powerful, is strong, a life that changes people, changes your children, changes your family? Do you want that kind of life? I'm firmly convinced most people in the kingdom of God just want to get to heaven by the skin of their teeth. Most people in church in America today don't want to change. They just don't want to go to hell. It's not enough. To not want to go to hell. You have to want to be God's son, God's daughter, God's child. You want to bring him that glory through your life. So one, be sure that it's God's plan you are following. And you know, So read the word. If you don't read the word, you don't know the plan. If you don't know the plan, you cannot 
follow the plan. If you don't follow the plan, your life is going to bite. It's totally going to bite. You're not going to have the husband you want. You're not going to have the wife you want. You're not going to have the children you want. You're not going to have the job you want because nothing will fulfill you because you're not right with Christ because you're not following the plan. I'm sorry that just deflated your whole day, but you know what? That's okay. Two, watch and observe all the details. They are there to protect you. God has details on how you date, what you do on your dates, how you conduct your business, how you conduct your relationship with your parents, with your children. Fathers, don't antagonize your children, the Word of God says. There's a reason for that. Do you know why God says don't antagonize your children, Dad? Because they're the ones that pick out your nursing home. <laughs> Remember, when we're in the wheelchair, who do you think's changing the diapers? Okay, seriously. And it says, children, obey your parents because they're looking out for your good. We're not trying to kill the fun. We're trying to keep you alive long enough to realize that we're not that dumb. You know, like I always say, when I was 18, my father was a moron. And you know what? The older I got, the smarter he got. Now I think he was brilliant. I think he was absolutely brilliant. My poor dad, yes. Third, it is not enough to start well. You must finish well to be victorious. If you want to finish this life, and when they lay you in the box in front of the church, and they say, this was a man or woman who gave glory to God, this is the life of a man or woman who changed their community because they believed in Jesus, you have to live this kind of life, all right? Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for this day, Lord. Thank you that we have seen the fall of Jericho. Lord, there is a Jericho in each of our lives. There is a thing, Lord. There is an obstacle that stands in the way of our promised land. Father, help us to overcome it by submitting to your plan, by giving into your will, by doing things your way. Father, we surrender. We quit trying to figure it out. Lord, help us be obedient to the word. Father, forgive us where we've been stubborn. Forgive us where we have tried to do it the way our parents did it or tried to do it the way it was when we were kids. Father, help us to look into your word and see the truth. Father, if there's one here today who says that none of this makes sense because they have never come to you in faith. Father, they have never seen their sin revealed by the Holy Spirit. They have never repented and asked you to make them into a new creation. Father, I just pray in Jesus' name right now that the Holy Spirit is bringing them to life, waking them up. It is showing them that they're dying and that they're sinking into a well and that, Lord, only in your Son can we have eternal life. And, Father, I pray that before this day is over, we might hear that people's lives have been changed because of your word, because of what you showed Joshua there before those people. Lord, bless the remainder of this service. May it be a service that gives you glory. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.